0: Leading up into this holiday season, a question I think is important for us to ask ourselves that, uh, if we're really honest, can reveal a lot about ourselves. But the question needs to be had. And uh, very much in the holiday season, but it plays out through the rest of the year. And um, if I were to ask you this question, I'm curious how all of us would truly respond. And the question is this Are you happy? Like, are you a happy person? That question we may immediately say, yeah, I'm happy. Let's go. And you start listing off things. But that question, if we look at each other, is like, hey, are you happy? I'm curious what we say. Because recently, uh, some time ago, TikTok was flooded with a trend that was going and the trend was like, it could be like, hashtag, are you happy, whatever. But the, the thing was this. It's, so people would walk up to people on the street, or they would ask each other a question. They'll go up and say, hey, bro, are you happy? And they'll say, you know what? Yeah, I think I'm happy. It's just like, for well, why? What makes you happy? It's like, man, I got an awesome girl. I work in my job. It's cool. Life's great. And they start listing the ways they're happy. But... What was more revealing though is most people in this trend would say, No, I'm not happy. And when really asked to unpack that, why aren't you happy? The things they'll say is, there's conflict between my relationship with such and such person. Work is hard. Um, I mean, family drama. Oh, you know drama. And that's what they'll say. More so, it's that the and it's fascinating because the very thing that brought so many people happiness is the very thing that led to their unhappiness. The thing that brought them happiness was, oh man, my marriage is great, so I'm happy. Oh, my kids are obedient, I'm happy. Oh man, I got this raise at my job, I'm happy. And they kept listening happy, but on the flip side of that coin, the very thing that people were communicating that led to their unhappiness was those things deteriorating immediately when there's a wedge in there. And so we ask ourselves, what do we do with happiness? Now, if I look at you this morning, or if you were at your lunch table today, and you're sitting there and you're talking to each other, and if you're married, if you look at your spouse, I don't know if the last time you asked your spouse, he's like, Are you happy? It's just, and like, it was an honest answer. Like, what, what do we say? If you ask your kid, Hey, are you happy? And by, and by doing this, today we're going to be going through Ecclesiastes chapter 1. So if you're a Bible, turn with me to Ecclesiastes. And um, as we approach the holidays, a time where we speak of a lot of happiness, we have, to, we have to get our heads on right to really see where happiness is found. And so today we're going to be looking at verses 8 and 9 with this question of happiness. So first, so this is God's word, Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 8. All things are full of weariness. A man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. What has is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done. There is nothing new under the sun. I mean, so much joy in that text, right? Like, wow. That's, there's a lot of joy, Foster. Like, goodness gracious. But this morning, we're going to look at three, like, like, looking at that text, this morning, we're going to look at three ways for you not to be happy. Like, we're going to look at this text. I'm going to guarantee, we're going to look at three ways. If you do these things, I can personally, I'll guarantee it. Three ways, if you do it, you will not be happy. You won't be. Three ways. So this morning, we will talk about three ways to guarantee your unhappiness. And so meaning, if you do these things, you won't be happy, but go with me here. Once you realize this, the key is the reversal of those things that, I don't know if you believe me, but this morning you can leave Bethel Church, Cedar Lake, and guess what? You can be happy. I don't know if you believe me, this morning, again, as Peyton was saying earlier, like, you don't know what my week's been like. Like, Thanksgiving was a train wreck. Those mashed potatoes were garbage. They didn't put, they, way too much potato taste, too, way too much starch. I personally love the more butter and salt you put in there. Garlic makes it better. But, If you do these things, you'll be unhappy. But once we truly realize these through a biblical worldview, I can tell you, you can be happy. And this morning you might be saying, you're a liar. Because we love that video we just watched. And when we're communicating, and I was thankful through the whole thing. And I love that because that inspires us to keep going. But what about the rest of us who aren't thankful? (laughs) who aren't happy, when it's just hard, and you're just like, I'm not happy this morning. I don't see it getting better. Well, let's look at God's word to see through the gospel how you can be happy this morning. So first point, in your quest to find happiness, you have to realize this. Nothing is designed to make you happy. Nothing is designed to make you happy. Look with me at verse verse 8, right in the beginning. It says, All things are full of weariness. Solomon is writing this to convey to you and me that in a broken reality where sin and selfishness exist, there is nothing in your possession today that has the power to alter all of your circumstances and make you happy. Nothing is designed to be the, the, to produce happiness in your life. Now don't hear me say that things can't spark happiness in your life because we get that all the time. I mean, some of us, like we go to Starbucks and we immediately get our first cup of coffee in the morning. Some of us, we love to, like Thanksgiving when everyone's together and we have these moments of like, ah, this is incredible. And don't even say we, things don't spark happiness, because they do. But the reality, the point here being made is the, those things don't bring like, the lasting happiness. It doesn't last forever. It dwindles. It fades. I mean, just go with me with the holidays. It's like you're, you're so happy when everyone gathers under the roof and you're together for this meal, but give it a few hours. You're excited till everyone else goes home. right because nothing is designed to make you happy and just look at the past 12 to 18 months for you personally i mean i work in student ministries and so often when it comes to going from grade to grade i look at students this is like who are who is that person you had a crush on 18 months ago are you with them anymore no do you care no and it's just like look at the such transient nature of everything in our life that things come into our lives and immediately go and there's this constant rotation because all things are full of weariness the people who made you happy are you still with them it's like they're not there And you can go to the verse right before this. In verse 7, Solomon writes this, All streams run to the sea, but the sea is not full. To place where the streams flow, they flow again. This is designed to teach us that the seas are never filled despite rivers constantly flowing into them. The same is true for you and I, that the amount of things that constantly brought into your life will never fill you up. Let's be honest, like no amount of compliments will satisfy you. No amount of popularity will satisfy you. No amount of attractiveness will satisfy you. Not having all your kids home for Christmas will satisfy you. All things are full of weariness. And this is what the first step of what Solomon is pleading for you and I to understand. And it really influences the way we answer the question, are you happy? If I ask you, are you happy, the, we, we'll, we'll immediately say, what do we say? Do we say, yeah, it's like self-image. Yeah, I have great friendships. Do we lean into, I'm happy because you're a funny guy? Like, everyone, wherever you're around, you're known as the funny person. Let's be honest, like, are you happy because people are intimidated by you? Because when you come into a room, you command presence, and you're happy because people respect you. We have to come to grips with those things won't make you happy at the end of the day because they're full of weariness. And something goes on to right here in verse 8, something that's, like you go to the second half of this, look. It says, the eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. This reinforces the idea that our senses can't be satisfied with things in this world. Again, I work in student ministry, so Taylor Swift recently released a new album. And I have to break it to people that even that won't make you happy. And, like, if that is close to godliness as a lot of teens can get is this new album. But we have to understand your senses aren't the gauge of happiness. Because that, that's really important for us to know is the eye is not satisfied with seeing or the ear filled with hearing. Me, it's just like you can't trust your senses to be a great measure if you're happy or not. That if you're all money having this emotional, like, complete state where, like, everything's 10 out of 10, it's amazing. Solomon's writing to you saying that's probably, yes, we can read some texts and that, that could be satisfying a good thing, but it's not a good concrete foundation to build on to gauge if you're truly happy or not. It is your senses. Because, again, if you're like me, you could go from 100 to zero really fast. Again, I grew up in Ohio. Ohio State just got whooped my Michigan yesterday. <laughs> and you could, get, you could go into a game like, we're awesome, the Ohio State University. And whew, they killed us. You can go from zero to 100 or 100 to zero really fast. On days become great or horrible at a moment's notice. All because of something that you see or something that you hear. You're having a great day until you see someone cut you in traffic for the line at Starbucks. If something we witness or happens, immediately it shifts from happiness to dissatisfied. If you entrust your happiness to things around you, Solomon's telling you, and me, you are setting yourself up for un. Happiness. And how can we know that? Like, again, he's like, all right, he can talk a big game, but how can you know that that's true? Where's the research, Solomon? What do you got? Well, this is the second point we have for us. You won't be happy if you try the same thing because everything else has been tried. Solomon's telling you that all things are full of weariness. And guess what? Everything has been tried under the sun to gain that happiness. Everything. Look at verse 9. What has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done. There is nothing new under the sun. That rhymes. That can be centuries next song there, right? But de- like, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again, expecting the, a different result like the dead. for us to walk and that's what we often do every day is we live out insanity is when we try to do the same thing over and over and over again to get a different result of what we'll, what it is designed to always give you but we do that with our happiness all the time all the time be like, I'm going to do this, and it's going to make me happy. This will make me happy. But a good rebuttal is, you might say, well, Solomon didn't have Wi-Fi. Solomon didn't have a Tesla. He didn't have airplanes. He, he didn't have modern medicine. He didn't have Call of Duty. Like, again, I work with students, and that's like the new thing that's out. And you'll say, like, no, he didn't. But here's the thing you have to understand. It didn't, there's no variation from the invention of the wheel to putting space stations in the sky and never stop parents from getting divorced. It's just that reality. They're saying like nothing's new on a son. The product of what's introduced in our life doesn't fix the fundamental things that happen. I mean, just look again, alluding to student ministry, alluding to the, our current, from our generation today, if you're a student here, you are the most connected generation of all time, but you're the highest of statistics in anxiety and suicide rates. And it's why? Because nothing's new under the sun. And those things introduce Solomon saying, they've all been tried and if you do those things Solomon's looking at me he's looking at you and he's telling you you will not be happy you won't be Solomon doesn't have the new tech things to to evaluate to see if it will make him happy again if you were to hand Solomon an iPhone 14 today he would be wow This is an incredible piece of technology. There's not enough people texting me on it. This phone is great. In two years, it's going to be outdated. Nothing new under the sun means the same unhappiness you and I has been shared with every person in history forever. And why is that? We're going down to the fundamental reality where you and I share with everyone else. It doesn't matter if you're elementary in here, teenager in here, you're close to the grave in here, wherever you're at, it is the fundamental reality is that we are separated from God and live in a broken world. A lot of what Ecclesiastes is written, again, I want to encourage you guys when you go home and read your Bibles, Ecclesiastes can be one of those books when you read, you're like, Dang, this is just a downer. Or there's like, what is happening? But Ecclesiastes, I, I would argue, is, is Solomon, knowing the story of humanity, he knows about, he, like Solomon has Genesis. He can read Genesis. Solomon has these books, and Solomon looks, and he knows what Eden was like and he's assessing reality outside of Eden, and he's seeing the dissonance. And Ecclesiastes is him on this endeavor to try to get a taste of what Eden was like and realizing it is unattainable outside of relationship with God. And Ecclesiastes is here to tell us, like, we... Share that with everyone. The very idea that we're having a conversation on happiness points to the fact that we all want a deep sense of happiness and satisfaction in our lives that it seems like just doesn't seem to come. Every year we have like this spark of happiness with the holiday season around here, and then January 1st comes, and it's just like, can we get rid of the snow now? It's not a good decorative piece. because we have these sparks, but we're realizing that the happiness comes, happiness goes, and it's just constant ebb and flow. So Solomon looks and says, if you think you know the key to happiness and try something else, the text is telling you, you're wrong. I'm wrong. And I believe this until very recently. Again, this to be very transparent, like we all like this, we're gonna flood into the third point here in a second. But until very recently, I had a conversation with my wife about this. And uh, because growing up, um, I grew up in Ohio, and I had to go to Cleveland about three days a week for six weeks to get evaluated for speech impediments, to reading ability, comprehension, all those things, because I couldn't read for the life of me. I was talking to Emily, a word that we all have those core memories in our life, a word that's like a plague for me is the word determine. I was like, mom, it's dead or mine. And it's just like, no, it's determine." And so with this, I had to go to Cleveland. And uh, so I diagnosed with ADHD, ADD, dyslexia, whatever it is. And so all these things. And I couldn't read well until I was 10. And so with high school friend groups, I remember like where we we playfully poke fun at one another of like, wow, like you said that wrong, horror, or you joke around with each other and you make fun of each other's uh, weaknesses. But talk about here in a second with happiness is like, that cuts deep. And I remember personally for me is, I never wanted to feel the sense of being the not smart one in the group. And so what did Foster decide to do at a young age? Foster's like, all right, I'm going to graduate uh, high school. I'm going to go to Ivy Tech because I had to relearn a lot of basics and start with basic level math. Go over Ivy Tech, transfer to Purdue. I went to Purdue, and I had to retake math three times at Purdue because I just couldn't get it. Took math three times at Purdue, passed Purdue. Went to seminary, well, completed seminary. Had to get tutoring every week in Greek and Hebrew. Went through seminary. And then finally I was like, all right, I want to go after my doctorate. I get my doctorate. And I'm sitting here, and I'm talking to Emily, and guess what? The feelings of insecurity, of being feel dumb, didn't go away. It didn't fix it. All this endeavor to prove that on paper I have some high accolades, it makes me still sit there and be insecure, that all these things that promise happiness, Solomon say, guess what? you're still going to feel dumb. That doesn't make you happy. And guess what? People don't care. And so I'm on, I was on this journey, and I saw happiness and titles and fame that prove that those things won't make you happy. And this is to where looking at us in our lives to bring it down. If I'm going to talk to um, high school students in here, making varsity won't make you happy. Getting that Letterman jacket it won't do it. It's not going to make you happy. Parent, a good 401k compared to your neighbor won't make you happy. Being the most popular person in the room won't make you happy. Being the smartest person in the class won't make you happy. Those are the things that Solomon's pleading for you and I to understand on our quest for happiness. That won't do it. It won't. In Greek mythology, there is a uh, character by the name of uh, Sisyphus. Don't ask me to say that name again. Again. But uh, he was condemned to do the same meaningless task for all eternity. And what he does is he gets a boulder and he rolls it to the top of this mountain, all to have the boulder roll back down again. And his character in the story is what one of the demigods did to him is that was his job forever, is to roll it up, he put on the top, and it rolled back down, and he walks back down the mountain to roll it back up again. If you decide, the same is true for us, if you decide this relationship will make me happy, this prize will satisfy me, this, this fame will finally bring me peace, Solomon is going to look at you and say, you're rolling that boulder up that hill to have it roll right back down again. That's what you and I are doing. This is a great principle, and then let's really boil down to just this as local congregation. When we say what has always been done by every generation happens, this is so good for us when we look at why multi-generational churches are important. Because we rob ourselves of joy. If you're sitting here and you look at one of those older saints down the aisle and be like, they don't get what I'm going through. Yeah, they do. Yes, they do. But we rob ourselves of the joy of being able to, on our quest for happiness and difficulty, share what's going on in our lives because it doesn't look the same. A lot of these pursuits for happiness have the same root causes. And we want those things. And that's why it's so important for us to lean into parental figures, lean into people who are older than us. This multi-generational church of families are so good because they have years on you. And what it means, what they have tried to make them happy, they can look and be like, hey, I've been there. And they can actually bring real encouragement to you today. That's why it's not cool when you have just all people who are the same as you, same life stage, same everything, because guess what? I don't know about you. I have a three-year-old, a 19-month-old, and a two-month-old. And so first, my wife and I apparently take the creation mandate very seriously. Second, um, I have no idea what I'm doing, and if I look at a peer and it's just like, what's going on? It's just like, guess what? I'd lie too. It's just like, no, we need people who can speak into that. Because we often turn to so many things we want to make us happy. And everyone under the sun has gone up for the same thing. So lastly, the third way I want to guarantee our unhappiness is this is for you and I to cling to things you think will satisfy you down the road, but they never will. This is summarizing a lot we've talked about already, but nothing will make you happy under the sun. And here's the thing I've kind of realized. You and I know that very often. You're not dumb. I'm not dumb when it comes to we cling to things that we want to make us happy, and we cling to those things knowing it won't, but we hold out hope that it will. It's like, again, these illustrations. It's like having a glow stick that at one point had some spark to it, but with every glow stick, they die. And we hold on to these glow sticks. We're so like, maybe it will. the chemicals will rekindle and it'll work again for me. We hold on to those things, but it's not designed to do that. I'm more convinced of this is why we cling to things that make us happy when we know they won't. It's it's because of this fundamental reality, and it's shame. You might ask me, okay, how does shame play into this? Well, first, shame, I'm going to define shame. Shame is identifying with your personal, with your self-deficiency and sin, resulting in public humiliation and embarrassment. Shame is identifying with your self-deficiency and sin resulting in public humiliation and embarrassment. You and I cling to things that we know will make us happy because we're scared if we admit that this is where we actually want to go for happiness, that people will reject us. In other words, if we are actually honest about what we think will make us happy, our fear is We're going to be cast out, made fun of, and rejected. This is what I mean. You hold to things you want to make you happy because you believe the lie that if you share with the real person why you cling to them, they will reject you and you miss out. So what do we do? Every day, if you're like me, you share... This is why Stephen Ganshaw has so many people come to his office often. He's a pastor of counseling. This is why so many of us just go talk to other people, and we seem like we're always stuck in the same habitual sin. Because this is what you and I do. We share bits and pieces of what we actually are running to, like breadcrumbs, but we don't truly share the real thing. It's as if you are driving a car, and... You are telling everyone on the car ride, look at all these potholes on the road. We live in Indiana. It's easy. Look at all these potholes, and you keep identifying all the potholes, but you're never telling people where you're actually going. You leave out the destination. You're like, pothole. It's like, bam, bam. You're like, oh, man, that was kind of hard, wasn't it? But everyone's like, man, that was. But you keep going, and you don't share where you're actually going. I want to encourage you that your first step towards happiness is found when you actually start confessing the destinations, not just the potholes. When you start sharing that this is actually where I run to happiness and don't actually just share these breadcrumbs along the way. And don't, and don't hear me say, like, all confession is good. Confession is good. Please don't hear me say, if your heart is burdened for something, don't hear me say, don't share it. Again, like if you share those potholes in your life, please do. But if you're like me, it's far easier to confess struggles in your life that don't reroute to where you're actually running to. Meaning, it's easy to share like, wow, man, I should really just not be on Facebook as much. And like, yeah, you're right. But maybe you should really confess to why you ignore your kids. I say that because that was a conviction I had recently with Boston to when I opened up my Facebook app. He says, Dad, why are you working? And I'm like, I'm not. (laughs) (laughs) So for example, this comes in many forms. I can confess that I get annoyed with my siblings, but I neglect to confess that I compare myself to my siblings all the time. And I constantly think through how I can be seen different than them. I can confess I struggle with my husband's laziness, but in reality, you wish you were with your friend's husband who actually had motivation in his life. We don't want to confess those things because that's where you have these mental realities So that's where happiness is found, but I can't say that because I'm going to be rejected. We confess potholes, and the conversation often goes like this. I struggle with my in laws at Thanksgiving, and we'll be like, Yeah, thanks for sharing. You struggle with your in laws at Thanksgiving. Thank you for that pothole. But what you and I, what we don't share is that what you really struggle is when your spouse takes your in laws' side and you feel constantly betrayed by them. You don't feel supported, and you're just unhappy. Again, Solomon looks at you and I and says, all those sources of happiness, they won't make you happy. And we deprive ourselves of actually being happy if we don't confess it. That's where we're going. We deprive ourselves all the time. Working in student ministry, I often hear the thing is, I struggle with self-image. But in reality, you starve yourself, you put on way too much makeup to cover up who you really are and you dress for attention from all the wrong people. That is so often what you and I do because we feel like if we confess what we're really running to for happiness, we will be rejected. And this comes to how we treat others with grace. I mean, we just had Thanksgiving, and this is just a stereotype we can just say it, but it's the mother who wants all her kids home for the holidays and responds poorly as if things don't go to plan. On the surface, people, all they see is a control freak mother who wants to be selfish with her time, but in reality, it's the mom who's wanting people to think that she actually did a good job raising her kids. And we deprive ourselves of actually being happy and having grace towards one another if we don't express where we're running to for happiness. It's all tied to happiness because it's how we respond. Another way we can say that, it's, it's imagine if you and I, we go to a pool and we lead people to the shallow end of the pool and we tell people, this is where my life is. When we, hey, how are you doing? I'm good. Good, great. Bye, see you next Sunday. And we say, hey, I'm doing good. And you express people, this is the shallow end of the pool. This is where I live my life. But in reality, you're in the deep end. You're drowning. You're dying. I'm dying. And we don't express actually where we're running to for happiness. Because we're like, if I share that this morning I was just screaming at my kids, then they're going to feel like I'm a bad parent. And I have to be seen as I'm great and I'm happy. And I can't say that. And so we we just hide it all the time. And Solomon's just like, it's always been done. If you constantly keep doing these things, you're just going to be unhappy all the time and just not going to have any growth or hope for you not to be happy. But this is where we're going. So friends, I want to confess. I want to, uh, to encourage you to confess the depths of where you run to for happiness. Tell people, this is where I'm running, and this is how I'm running to try to find this happiness, Because you're going to find things that when you do that, there's two things Solomon tells you that if you're actually honest about where you run to for happiness, Solomon tells us in the text two things. One, you aren't alone. It's all been done. The person sitting next to you this morning most likely is struggling with the same pursuit of happiness. And two, The truth goes deeper in scripture that no matter how deep the water goes of your pursuit for happiness in all the wrong places, the scripture tells us God's grace goes deeper than that. It goes so much more deeper. You go to Romans 5.20 when Paul tells us, now the law came to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abound all the more. There's no destination, no deep water in your life where grace doesn't go deeper. And so this morning, when you actually have to wrestle with the question, are you actually happy? You can finally say, I'm not. And this is why I'm not happy. And guess what? When we finally verbalize it, the gospel can meet that. It, it, It doesn't serve you well if you just have this mirage and you have the gospel applying to make-believe realities in your life. The gospel will meet tangible things in your life. Jesus died for the real things in your life. And so when we express, I'm not happy because of this, it says, guess what? The gospel offers hope there. And we actually then can have happiness that is where true happiness, the, the truth of the matter is that happiness is not found in things possessed in this life, but happiness is found in the hope in the next. That when we look to Christ, your happiness is found in Jesus Christ. I can say this because he meets all the desires of your heart. When we read in Ecclesiastes 1.8, when it says, all things are full of weariness, you can go to the person of Jesus Christ when he says in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5.6, all those who hunger and thirst for righteousness will be satisfied. And so it's not this possession of this thing of like, this will make me happy. Jesus says, no, come to me and I promise you will be satisfied. I'll give you the desires of your heart because they're found in me. And I don't know this congregation well, but I do know that we all have a lot of things in common when it comes to our pursuit of happiness, when we want things and people to respond ways that how we want them to respond and act. But Jesus meets us where we are at and says, I am the satisfier of your soul. I came that you may have life and have it abundantly. That's what he says in John 10. When it's John 10, 10, it says, the thief comes only to steal and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. So I'm here to tell you, you won't be happy. If your happiness is found in a new job, a prettier girlfriend, a obedient kid, a great home, a happy Thanksgiving meal. All things are full of weariness. And everyone has tried every tactic to manipulate those things to make them the source of happiness. But Solomon looks at things as brutally honest about those things and says, as we go through the rest of scriptures, happiness can be found. And it came on a cross, came through a manger, lived a life, died for our sins, so that you and I can have true joy. So this morning, I don't know if you believe me, that you're saying, "I don't believe you'll be happy. I want to encourage you, look to Jesus. If you're saying, Foster, I can't say that this is where I'm running to for happiness because it's going to really make it so that I have to go to that marriage workshop. If I tell my wife, if I tell my husband, this is where I'm running for happiness today, you can guarantee we have a seat at that workshop. Why not today? Why not today be the day when you actually have steps towards satisfaction and happiness? Why not, why not repent today? Because I can guarantee it, guess what? You won't be rejected. I can guarantee it, you yeah, it could be hard, but guess what? It's not you don't you don't have to it, that's not you. Shame is that you identify with your self-deficiency. The gospel says you don't identify with that, you identify with Christ. And you can be happy. You can be. So let's look to Jesus together.